Welcome to the Backstretch. I'm News 5's Heather Williams. And right up front, I want to tell you this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated edition of the Backstretch. Um, our friend Chris Carrier is still out. Hopefully, he'll be joining us again next week on the Backstretch. So we don't have the 10 minutes or so that we normally spend with Chris to get his thoughts on the weekend. But that's okay. There's still plenty to talk about. We've got a pretty good guest this week, uh, Michael McDowell, to talk about things all things racing. So uh, you certainly will enjoy the conversation with Michael. I always do. He's a um, a guy that's been around the sport a long time, knows the racing world, knows the ins and outs, and is having a really good season at Front Row Motorsports. Right now they're holding on to that 16th spot in the points. I think they're about 13 to 18 points ahead of, uh, of 17th. So this week at Michigan's probably not the greatest track for him, but the final three races of the regular season, really, if he can just avoid danger this weekend in Michigan, it actually sets up really nicely for McDowell with a couple of road courses and then Daytona to close out the regular season. That is right in his wheelhouse. So if he can just, you know, hold course this week and hold on, I, I think the 34 team has a really good chance of pointing their way into the playoffs, which who would have thought that? I mean, what and this is something I talk about with Michael. What a difference the next gen car has made. Michael got into the playoffs um, in two thousand and one, but that was by winning the Daytona five hundred, the wild card race um, at a, a super speedway, which he's a pretty good super speedway racer. But he was never really competitive in the playoffs because the cars were not as competitive. Well, now he's going to or at least has a chance to point his way in. His cars are every bit as competitive as those within some of the big organizations. He's ahead of the points right now of Daniel Suarez and Ty Gibbs. And I know he's been injured, but Chase Elliott. And so that 34 team can just hold on its own. And I think that's really impressive. And I think that's exactly what NASCAR wanted out of the next gen for all of its bumps and bruises along the way and, and issues that it's had. This is this has been one of the positives. And so uh, you'll really enjoy hearing uh, Michael's thoughts on that. Obviously, burying the lead a little bit, but we got to talk about Nor Noah Gregson. The news coming yesterday uh, that he has been suspended indefinitely, first by his race team, Legacy Motor Club, and then as a follow-up by NASCAR. For liking an insensitive Instagram post somewhere between March and now. Don't know exactly when he liked it, but the post was put up in March. NASCAR found out about it this weekend, so somewhere in that time frame it happened. I've been interviewing Noah for a long time, um, since he was in the truck series. Followed his career for a long time. He is an immensely talented driver. And I, I, I don't want to say this without sounding condescending or um, motherly or whatever, but he, he does struggle a little bit with, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, maturity. I'm not sure that Noah, I don't know Noah well enough to say that he's racist or not racist. I, I want to believe in my heart that he isn't. All of my interactions with Noah have been great, so I have no problems with him. And so I don't think that he liked that that post based on the racial aspect of it. I think that he liked it because it was kind of a immature 
childish joke. And so I, I, how do I say this? I think that NASCAR ties, hands were tied on this. I think they had to do this. I think it's the right thing to do. I think that Noah needs to learn just as Kyle needs to learn. And what Noah did in my mind is not as offensive. What Kyle did, it is offensive to me, but it's not as offensive, but I think Noah needs to learn the same way that Kyle Larson needed to learn that you can't just throw things around with racial undertones and not expect people to be offensive. It may not be offensive to you. You may not have meant it to feel that way. You may not have wanted it to come off that way, but it comes off that way. And you can't just do that, especially where you're a high profile athlete in an organization like NASCAR, especially in an organization like NASCAR, which has taken its lumps for the way it has treated African-Americans, whether you like it or not, it is a part of this sports history. If you don't know, just Google Wendell Scott, see what his experience was like in the sport. If you don't understand some of the things that Bubba Wallace has gone through in the sport, I encourage you wholeheartedly to watch with an open heart the documentary on him that Netflix did called Race. But watch it with an open mind. Don't go in there with the bubbles and, and Bubba Smollett attitude and all the things that people say about Bubba, about the fake news because you won't take away from it what you need to take away from it if that's your attitude. If that's your attitude, don't bother because it's not for you and you will never understand. But as someone who has been in the garage area for 20 plus years now, um, when I first started covering this sport, it was not a friendly place, particularly certain tracks, especially for people of color. It's improved immensely. It's so much more relaxing in a certain sense, um, welcoming in the garage area than it was 20 years ago. Outside of the garage area, we still need some work. So NASCAR had to do this as far as I'm concerned with Noah. I hope that Noah goes into this, uh, road to recovery or whatever they call it when they have to do the diversity training with the same attitude that Kyle did, that he comes out the other end an improved person as well as a, with a better understanding of other people. Um, because I feel Kyle did, um, Kyle is much happier these days. And so, um, I love that about Kyle. Like I, you know, people, there are a lot of people that come to me and say, I'll never forgive Kyle Larson for what he said or what he did. That's, that's not my experience with Kyle Larson at all. And I never really had a problem with Kyle Larson before this happened, but he does seem, and there could be a lot of things that go into this, right? He's driving for Hendrick Motorsports. He's at the top of the world in his dirt game, but he is a much happier and much more fulfilled person now than he was five years ago before all this happened. So I hope that Noah finds that piece as well. This is probably not going to work out at Legacy. It didn't work out for Kyle at Ganassi. Sometimes these things are the best things that can ever happen to you. I know this from personal experience. I've been in a job where I was forced out. I didn't want to leave. And then the next thing that came along was a thousand times better than what I had. I didn't see the good in the bad that was happening for the moment. So hopefully that will be the experience for Noah. 
as it was for Kyle, as it has been for myself. And he can just move forward from this situation and continue to show the amazing talent that he has because he really is a talented race car driver. And something's just not right right now. Even before this incident, something was not right. The Noah that has been in the car this year is not the Noah we saw last year in the Xfinity Series, winning, I don't know, an ungodly amount of races, eight, nine races last year. It's not the same guy. So hopefully this will be a blessing in disguise for him, and he will come back as a stronger, better person and race car driver, because that is what is important above anything else. Not feelings, not any of those things. Those are all important, but Noah learning and growing is the most important thing out of all of this. So I'll stop rambling, stop rambling about that, but it, it is important to talk about that. We need to talk about this more in an engaged and intelligent conversation, not name calling, not um, virtual signaling, not dog whistles, but really important conversations about taking care of each other. So as I mentioned, Michael McDowell is the guest. Great conversation with Michael. Let's get going. You guys are right in the thick of this of this playoff hunt. Uh, how has this been for you, for your team? I, mean, I know you've been in the playoffs, but you won the Daytona 500. You didn't have to worry about it or think about it when you got in the last time. I think this is more impressive because you guys are showing your strength throughout the season. So how's it been for you guys? Yeah, you know, I think that, it is from a team standpoint overall, like just showing consistency that we have a, a shot at pointing our way into the playoffs. Um, I think it speaks a lot about the progress that we've made here at Front Row. And, you know, we're going in a good direction and running well. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun to be in the conversation. It's fun to be in the mix. Um, but really, we're, we're just focused on, you know, taking it one week at a time, right? And, you know, the best way for us to get into the playoffs is to run good at Michigan this weekend. Um, and so we got to run well this week. And so just focusing on that and we just kind of taking it step by step. Um, but yeah, we're in a good spot, you know, from a team standpoint, from an overall performance. Um, so we just got to execute, not have uh, too many mistakes here in the next four weeks. And, you know, we'll see where, where it plays out. You know, there's so much that we can't control and um, we just need to control the things that we can and, and put the effort in the areas that uh, we need to improve and get better. And we'll we'll, uh, we'll have a fighting chance at it. So it seems like too. You mentioned being in a good position. Not only are you right there uh, in the mix, but the final four tracks look like are some pretty good tracks for you. Some tracks that you could actually maybe go get a win at and not even yeah. worry about uh, having to point your way in. Yeah, definitely. I think those last three, you know, we we know that we can go to Indy Road Course and and qualify in the top five and have a shot at winning the race. And if we can't win the race, we know we'll store, score a lot of stage points and, and get a good finish. Um, same at Watkins Glen, you know, we had a shot at the pole there last year and, and led some laps and um, you know, so those are strong tracks for us. Uh, Daytona can go either way. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm confident there, we run well there, um, you know, and, and can happen, but I feel like these road courses will give us an opportunity to score a lot of points, um, potentially win a race and not have to worry about it. Um, but you know, it's racing, right. And everything, everything, um, you know, works out throughout the season. Uh, you have good ones, you have bad ones. Uh, so far we're on a pretty good roll and we just need to, you know, keep hitting it and, uh, control the things that we can control and, and, and see where we end up. 
Uh, I know that the next gen car is supposed to be the great equalizer. We got a ton of winners last year, not as many different winners this year, but it still seems like there's still a different cast of characters competing to get into the playoffs, you know, yourself and, and, and Bubba and some of these guys that are Ty Gibbs that are right around the cutoff. Um, so is the next gen still doing its job, even though it's not maybe producing as many winners because it seems like there's just so many different teams still in the hunt here. Yes, I think it is. Um, you know, last year was so unique because everybody had a clean slate, right? Nobody had a true advantage uh, with a brand new car and everybody figuring it out. Um, we knew that the best teams were going to rise up. I mean, that's just how it works, right? Um, but I feel like uh, even though we've seen some standout performances with, you know, with Hendrick Motorsports and with JGR and 2311, like, they have the speed right now kind of over most of the teams, but the gap is still pretty close. Right. And I think that's the biggest difference between the old car and the next gen car for us, you know, when, when we would get to this point where those teams would have those, you know, those runs where they're clicking off four or five wins, we'd be a half a second or a second off of their speed right now you know, we're running 10th to 12th and we're two tenths off of their speed. And so it gives you a fighting chance. Um, but the top teams are still the top teams. Um, and, you know, that's always going to happen. Uh, but I do feel like the next gen car is still doing what it was set out to do. I mean, if you just look, we got 70 people here and, and probably, you know, a third or uh, probably less than that of the budget and the people and we're still contending. So I think the next gen car is doing what it set out to do. And, um, yeah, you know, I feel like we are, you know, in a similar spot as we were last year as far as overall performance. So it's going well. Uh, Michigan this weekend, obviously, I mean, it's a home of, of speed. It's a home of uh, all the manufacturers. How much of an emphasis is put on Michigan just because there's such bragging rights? Up, with, I feel like it's up there with Charlotte. Like all the teams want to win yeah. at Charlotte because that's their home base. All the manufacturers want to win at Michigan. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it really is. You know, everybody brings their their best piece in, in any development that is happening, um, you know, comes to this racetrack. And um, so it is. There's there's a lot of bragging rights and, and there's definitely um, extra pressure this weekend. And um, but it's fun. You know, it's a fun weekend and it's it's fun to, um, you know, the teams and the drivers have their own rivalry. Right. Um, but this is where you feel that manufacturer rivalry you know where sometimes it, they might be a little bit behind the scenes they're very outspoken uh when you get to michigan and the importance of uh of beating the other manufacturers there so um you know we actually even have a ford meeting on sunday and i'm sure they will go over a lot of that and how we need to uh, you know execute and work together and make sure that we beat the other two manufacturers so uh it's a fun weekend um also it feels like those intermediate tracks where they used to be kind of snoozers, this seems like this is where the action's happening with the next gen. How, from a driver's standpoint, how much more fun are these these tracks now with this newer car? Yeah, the next gen cars definitely better racing on the mile and a half and above, right? Um, this package for you know, and this car just has more side by side racing, has a little bit less aero effect, um, and so that makes it. Um, easier to be side by side and to be aggressive and kind of go for it. Um, yeah. So I think it's created some good racing, right. And um, you know, Michigan in the past has had some of that long runs, fuel mileage strategy 
uh, kind of gets spread out and you know that can happen anywhere um, but you know you still see a lot of uh, aggression and cars being able to race side by side and, and go for it so um, yeah I think a lot of those tracks that used to be you know tough on the schedule from a fan standpoint are now really good um, and so yeah this car has definitely mixed up the game. For my final thought, we got to talk about this NASCAR Hall of Fame class. First of all, what a cool class of NASCAR Hall of Famers. I mean, the greatest duo probably to ever do it in the garage area in Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson, seven-time championship champions, five in a row. I do not care whatever happens in this sport. I do not believe that anyone else will ever win five championships in a row. The way that it's structured now with the next-gen car and the playoffs and the competition, they have effectively done what they tried, have done what they've tried to do the entire time Jimmy was racing, which was finally Jimmy, Jimmy proof the playoffs. But that doesn't take away from how incredible his five in a row are. And the pairing of Jimmy and Chad, they had to go into the Hall of Fame together. And then Donnie Allison, I mean, just a really great, cool figure in NASCAR. You know, when I think of Donnie Allison, I always think of the fight on the backstretch at Daytona in 79. But he was so much more than that. The Alabama game, such a colorful and important part of NASCAR in the late 70s and early 80s. And so happy to see him in. And then Janet Guthrie, man, have I been pushing for her I know she's just going in as a landmark award winner, which I actually think she should actually be a Hall of Famer, but just to get her in the hall makes me happy. As far as female drivers go in this sport, she is the single most important female driver to come through NASCAR, in my opinion. She broke down doors and was so immensely talented in not always the greatest equipment, and what she was able to do and accomplish is just staggering at a time where they didn't even want to let women in the garage area, let alone drive. And if you haven't heard the stories, I encourage you to go back and listen to, the, to some of the stories from John A. Utzman, who was a release leaf driver for Janet Guthrie when he drove at Bristol. And basically, in a nutshell, he talks about how after they had switched out, people didn't realize he was driving. And he noticed almost immediately how they were driving him differently than they normally would because they didn't want a woman to pass him, pass them, even though obviously it was John A. He was in Janet's car. So for her to accomplish what she accomplished with so much fight and pushback against her is amazing. And so I'm so happy to see her in there. But what I really want to talk about in my final thought is who in the heck are the four people that did not vote for Jimmy Johnson to go into the Hall of Fame? And can we yank their NASCAR Hall of Fame voting credentials, like, immediately? I don't know what possible justification you could have for not thinking that Jimmy Johnson is not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I don't want that smoke. I don't want it. You, don't, you, you clearly don't understand what a Hall of Fame is about. I don't want to hear that you think that he shouldn't be eligible because he's still racing. The rules say he's eligible. He's eligible. I don't want to hear that he shouldn't be a, a unanimous first ballot because 
uh, Petty and Earnhardt were not unanimous first ballots. Also don't want to hear that. When Petty and Earnhardt went into the inaugural class of the Hall of Fame, there were probably 10 people that deserved to be first ballot Hall of Famers, but there could only be five. So I can listen to that. But when you look at the list of people that are on the Hall of Fame ballot now, incredible talents, many of whom deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but none of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame ahead of Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time champ. As I mentioned before, five in a row, 83 career wins, I think that's sixth all-time, at a time where they're not running nearly as many races as they were when Petty and Pearson and Waltrip were racing. So I don't want to hear it. I just, I, I don't want to hear it because it's garbage. Your, your, your reasoning is garbage. Your opinion is garbage. And you do not deserve the privilege that you have of having a Hall of Fame ballot. All right. Off my soapbox. Enjoy the race this week in Michigan. And we'll see you next week on The Batch Ranch. Thank you.